Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians 6, verse 10. going to read verses 10 through 20 of chapter 6 in Ephesians. Uh, tonight's message will come from verses 10 through 13, and I would like to complete 14 through 20 uh, when I'm back on November 26th in the evening service, the service following Thanksgiving. These are wonderful verses, and I fell in love with them perhaps as many of you as a child. They, they certainly have an interest for a young boy just on the face of the words. I was a child just entering the good fight. And that's what I hope in the Lord to make plain tonight. And so I encourage everyone to look to these verses tonight, but perhaps in the next month, if you haven't committed to memory the armor of God, particularly verses 13 to 18. Consider working on that this next month. Four or five fairly short lines in the Bible, but so fortifying in the fight. So we'll read all tonight, 10 through 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God and that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I, that is Paul, and an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we pray that you would illumine through your Holy Spirit, your word. We thank you for the good gift of your word and the necessary and good gift of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We know right away who Paul is addressing, the Ephesian church. 
my brethren. And through the Holy Spirit, Paul is addressing all Christians down to today and on. Paul's first instruction is to be strong, but with a qualification. Strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why is strength necessary? For the battle to be described in these verses. And that we are weak to fight it. And our enemy is strong. Plural, enemies. Let's look at an Old Testament battle. Joshua 1. Joshua 1, 1 through 11. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp, and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. One gets the intended sense that the Lord himself would uphold the people by his own strength and presence. Elsewhere, Paul writes in Colossians 1.11 that he prays for them to be strengthened with all might according to his, God's glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Matthew Henry wrote of Ephesians 6.10 that spiritual strength and courage are needed for our spiritual warfare and suffering which again looks ahead to the battle Paul is about to introduce. But most immediately, John Calvin warns us of our need for God's strength because there is no strength in us for the type of battle Christians are called to fight. He writes, There is always much to enfeeble us, and we are ill-fitted to resist. But when our weakness is considered... 
an exhortation like this would have no effect unless the Lord were present and stretched out his hand to render assistance or rather unless he supplied us with all the power. Paul therefore adds in the, in the Lord strength in the Lord as if he had said you have no right to reply that you have not the ability for all that I require of you is to be strong in the Lord. To explain his meaning more fully, he adds, in the power of his might, which tends greatly to increase our confidence. If the Lord aids us by his mighty power, we have no reason to shrink from the combat. Tonight's call to worship, I noticed, was 98.1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. We follow the victorious God, and he knows his own. And as his own, the psalmist could write in Psalm 44, 4 through 8, You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you, we will push down our enemies. Through your name, we will trample those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. But you have saved us from our enemies and have put to shame those who hated us. In God we boast all day long and praise your name forever, Selah. Now, children, you'll know that we sing one more song in the evening and we always, it always follows the word, doesn't it? When we sing 544, consider the title. Lead on, O King Eternal, and consider what you have heard tonight from the Bible, and consider why we are so safe and so secure in following, following him as our King. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. In the next verses, which we will not get to tonight, Paul tells us that the, what the armor consists of. But for now, his instruction to put on means a deliberate, methodical practice. This is the Christian's preparation for battle. Daily, hourly prepared. And here Paul says to put on the whole armor. All of it with nothing lacking. Would you go into battle with a helmet but no shield? With your legs armored but not your chest? Paul says it is this armor which allows us to stand in the day of battle. To be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might to advance in battle. But here at the end of verse 11, we have the first indication that the battle Paul is warning us of is not one you would think of when talking about battles and strength and armor. This is not a battle fought on a hill, in a city, on the ocean, in the sky. This is a battle in which we are called to war against our own sinful flesh 
As in Romans 7.15, Paul, almost in frustration for what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. And here in Ephesians 6.11, we are called to stand against something else, the wiles of the devil. We know who our enemy is, the devil. But children, what is a wile? Children, a wile means a dirty trick on the enemy's part. How does the enemy like to attack us? I'm sure many of you kids have read or heard of the Screw Tape Letters, a fictional journal by C.S. Lewis that appears to be written by a senior demon, Screw Tape, writing advice to a junior demon, Wormwood. And what kind of advice would a demon need? But how to best tempt someone to sin. Think of it like an army captain sending orders down to his men. So what are the devil's tricks? Well, you can read the Bible to learn about them. You could look at the screw tape letters as he illustrates how the devil attacks weak sinners like us. I distinctly remember C.S. Lewis saying the chief tactic he uses is to lull us into thinking there is no devil. There are no demons. Maybe there's no real spiritual battle to fight after all. What I see before me is all that matters. Wood, floor, I'm going to get in a car, I'm going to go to work tomorrow. A third place we could look. You can listen to the wisdom of older Christians who have taken a lot of wounds and had many stumbles in battles with the devil, the sinful world, and their own fleshly sins. You should seek out those people in church. You should seek out your parents. And the older should seek out the younger. That's what churches and that's what armies do. Elsewhere, Peter described the devil as a lion roaming about, seeking whom he would devour. What is he roaming about for? What is he looking for? What are these wiles? Luke 4 helps us to understand what he is looking for, these wiles of the devil. Let's turn to Luke 4. We'll read 4, 1 through 13. Jesus has really just been introduced in this gospel. And already you see the enemy come to him. Luke 4, 1 through 13. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. We'll return to Jesus's temptation in the wilderness in the next month with those final verses. But I mainly wanted you to see for now the wiles of the devil. Three temptations. And what was the first one? Command this stone to become bread. Obey me rather than God. Command this stone. Well, what wild or dirty trick of the devil is this? Remember verse two. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. The tempter, it says, then came to him, command these stones to become bread. And it concludes in verse 13 with now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. What is an opportune time for a tempter? When the one he is tempting is weakest. And Jesus, the man, was weak in that moment of hunger. That's how we know, as it says in Hebrews 4.15, that Christ, our high priest, can sympathize with our weakness because he was tempted in all of the ways in which we are yet without sin. Children, you and I are all weakness, and we carry about still our sinful flesh, which Christ did not have because he was without sin. He had flesh, but no sin. So again, this is why we look to God for his strength, being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And especially when we are hungry, tired, in pain, we've already let anger enter in. Those are the opportune times. That's when he lies in wait to strike. Just some examples of the wiles of the devil. John Calvin perhaps best reminds us, the Lord offers to us arms, weapons and armor for repelling every kind of attack. It remains for us to apply them to use and not leave them hanging on the wall. To quicken our vigilance, he reminds us that we must not only engage in open warfare, but that we have a crafty and insidious foe to encounter who frequently lies in ambush. Ephesians 6, 12, 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Here Paul is really making it plain. This is not a physical battle with actual armor and physical enemies, but a spiritual battle with the armor of God. Not against flesh and blood, but against our spiritual enemies, the world, the flesh, the tempter, the devil. This is why David wrote in Psalm 26, 7, 26 and 7, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. David chose the spiritual fight over the physical. Did he not use chariots and horses? As a king, he used chariots and horses. But you see, he knew where the real battle was. He did not rely on them or count them as any strength whatsoever. But the Lord would provide. In 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12, Paul wrote, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, all those things we we, uh, recognize as the uh, fruit of the Spirit. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul calls this spiritual battle the good fight. There's no argument here about whether this war is a good war or a just war. Maybe it's just one bad country taking advantage of their neighbor, a neighboring country to spend its treasures on itself, a murderous war. No. This is the good fight. It is good because it is first necessary and two, righteous. This good fight honors the name of Christ in all of creation. But know this, that Philippians 2, 10 through 11, God also has highly exalted Christ and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All those principalities and rulers of darkness, every sinner that ever was, is, or will be, will bow their knee to the king and confess him as Lord. Don't be distracted by uh, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess. Paul is quoting Isaiah 45, 23. Every knee shall bow. And in Jesus' power and majesty, should means it shall. This good fight must be the singular purpose of the Christian as long as he or she lives. We are in this world that we stand upon, that we move about. This is the arena. Yes, we live here and we should live here and do well for our neighbor. But woe to the Christian, as any Christian can testify from experience, woe to the Christian who loses their way and becomes distracted by the cares and concerns of this world leaving the good fight for even a moment. Paul wrote to the young man Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. You therefore, my son, 
Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Could you imagine back then a Roman soldier running into battle, but with his mind drifting off to, well, I really need to get home next week to plant those crops or tend to my properties. He was not going to be at his best on the battlefield and most likely would not make it home anyway. A commanding officer expects his men to be fully present, locked and loaded, ready to serve. The soldier that is in it for himself is of no use and ultimately of no use to himself. He is distracted and careless and soon dead. Likewise, the Christian must have self-control in this spiritual battle, focused on vanquishing sin and holding up the name of Christ. To give just one example, the Christian who struggles with alcohol abuse does not go hang out in bars with his friends. Do not be entangled. The Christian must be self-controlled and alert and not let sin gain a foothold. Now see these battle references from the book of Proverbs and how they relate to soldiers needing to have focus on the battle, needing to practice self-control, to wage effective spiritual warfare. Proverbs 16.32 He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. But the opposite is found in Proverbs 25, 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. And you see the enemy coming in from all sides. Finally, as to the strictly spiritual fight, John Calvin here is helpful in reminding us too. I'm not a big saying guy or like the sayings on church signs, um, but I can't do better than this. Calvin reminds us to hate the sin and not the sinner. It is for the Lord to hate the sinner, not for us. Our natural disposition, Calvin says, would lead us to Direct all our exertions against the men themselves. But this foolish desire will be restrained by the consideration that the men who annoy us are nothing more than darts thrown by the hand of Satan. While we are employed in destroying those darts, we lay ourselves open to be wounded on all sides. To wrestle with flesh and blood will not only be useless, but highly pernicious. We must go straight to the enemy who attacks and wounds us from his concealment, who slays before he appears. And that hymn of response tonight will give a further reminder of this strictly spiritual, not physical battle. For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drums, but deeds Of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. 
Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So take it up. The whole armor of God, every last piece of it, neglecting nothing. This is taking it up in preparation for battle, sharpening your sword, checking your armor fits in that it is snug in the day of battle. There will be no time for preparation. It will be too late. John Calvin said of this phrase in the evil day. By this expression, he rouses them from security, bids them prepare themselves for hard, painful and dangerous conflicts. And at the same time, animates them with the hope of victory for amidst the greatest dangers, they will be safe. And having done all, they are thus directed to cherish confidence through the whole course of life. There will be no danger which may not be successfully met by the power of God. Nor will any who, with this assistance, fight against Satan, fail in the day of battle. That hymn of response, 544, the first stanza, will talk of this preparation for the battle, before the battle. Through days of preparation, thy grace has made us strong. And next month, as we continue on with the next seven verses, We will see that Paul lists out each piece of the armor of God so that we may both withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I would encourage anyone who doesn't yet have these pieces of the armor of God committed to memory to particularly focus on memorizing this section, especially verses 13 through 18. Two points of application. First, come There is an urgent call to battle. Listen for the call. Romans 13, 11 through 14. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. There must be readiness on our part. Now is the time to awake. Now it is time to prepare and put on the whole armor of God. And secondly, Be encouraged in the coming fight because strength comes from the Lord and so does victory. Till then, let us remain sober, ready and hopeful. We quoted from the first letter to Timothy from Paul about fighting the good fight. I did not realize till this afternoon. There's another one. His second letter to Timothy four, six through eight. But this time a good fight with a promise. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord. The righteous judge will give to me on that day and not to me only but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
The victory is sure. For now, keep watch and give no quarter to the enemy. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the good gift of your Holy Spirit in your word. It is one of the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, and we thank you for it. Make it alive to us. Help us, Lord, to yield it, to, to wield it against the enemy through your power and your power alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's rise and sing hymn number 544.